Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels playoff episode number 16. We hope you enjoyed game 7 of the ALCS on Saturday night and game 7 of the NLCS on Sunday night. On this episode, Eno chats with Twins pitcher Jake Odorizzi to get his thoughts on a variety of things that we've seen in this postseason, including the unique challenges of pitching without off days built into the schedule, and what it's like as a starting pitcher being tasked with pitching in a game on your throw day in between starts. Before we get to the interview, just a quick few housekeeping notes to get to. First, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up for just $1 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform like Apple Podcasts that allows you to rate and review the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you took a moment to do that. We appreciate everybody who's taking the time to leave us a rating and review. It goes a long way toward helping new listeners find the show. And now it's time for Eno's interview with Jake Odorizzi. And here I am with uh, Twins pitcher Jake Odorizzi. I, go, I should say, are you a free agent? Free agent pitcher, Jake Odorizzi? I think as of uh, midnight after the World Series, yes. Yeah, so not quite so, yet. Still um, Twins pitcher. Pending, yeah, pending. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and we just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the postseason in general. Are you enjoying this postseason? It's a little bit different without the fans, you know, and not and, and, and not, a little bit bittersweet and being, you know, having been a part of it and not, not any longer. Yeah, it's, it is it is that way, but it's been nice. I think the format this year of games every day with the no off days in between has been really nice to to watch because you have a game on every single night. And obviously before this point when it was only, you know, four teams left now, uh, well, three, but uh, I mean, there was like four games on a day and it was just like from noon. It was almost like a football Sunday where it's from noon until, you know, eight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So it's been fun to watch from that standpoint. And then, you know, the variety of teams that made the postseason this year got people, you know, a glimpse of other teams that they're not used to watching. So it's been exciting for, I'm sure, a lot of teams in general, but a lot of fan bases to go along with that, that maybe haven't experienced the postseason in a while. Well, you mentioned the, the, the thing every day. Um, and uh, that's got to be, that. that's the the main difference, I think, maybe as a player, you're speaking as a fan, it's great. And I, I, it was like kind of baseball overload when there was like four or five games on a day. That was pretty nuts. But uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, pitching in these postseasons, um, I, I, I think I feel for everybody. I mean, uh, can you talk a little bit? I know, you know, you're a starter, but can you talk a little bit about what it must be like for these relievers to – to have to pitch so often and to have to manage these staffs and just to, to manage the rest. You know, I think the Rays, I think have actually been pretty good at it, but if Ryan Presley had gotten in the game last night for uh, the Astros, that would have been four in a row, which seems almost unthinkable. Yeah. It's the bullpen guys. I know weren't too big of fans of this format just for that reason alone, because 
you know, in a regular season, we'll say 162, a regular, regular season, uh-huh. you know, the most they typically go would be max would be a four day. And that's in like a crucial September of making the playoffs, that sort of thing. But three days is typically the max and you get your two days off and then you're back in there again. But from this year, it was so shortened that teams avoided really trying to go back to back with a lot of guys. So you haven't done that all year. And then the postseason rolls around and now you're going three out of four, four out of five, or like you said, three, four days in a row. That's it. That's a huge difference from a body standpoint of what you're, you're overloading the body because you're not built up to do it. Even like the regular season, you could do that because that's what happens. But this short season, everyone was kind of being a little cautious with relievers and now they're just overloading relievers. So if you don't have a deep, bullpen that you can go to in just about every situation. I think that's why we've seen the Rays be so successful because they have a a fully loaded bullpen that's ready to come in at the fourth inning through the ninth inning. And those guys are kind of interchangeable um, for the most part. I mean, they lean on certain guys in certain situations like Castillo. He's more of their closer type, but those guys are, are conditioned differently. And now you bring them here and it's just amplified. So it's uh, it's definitely health issues, and I think we saw that a lot during the season with just pitchers in general. When you change schedules, that's a huge a huge implement for somebody's career potentially because you're telling them to do something completely different for this set of circumstances when you usually have years of doing it a different way. So mm-hmm. um, that's that's a big difference. But I think those bullpen arms are going to be uh, really looking forward to days off. They're probably hoping for blowouts one way or the other just so like their key guys can get some rest because that's typically how you rest guys is when you have a blah type of uh offensive production day yeah yeah um you know you you had an injury the injuries this year were up like two to three times over a normal season you had an injury this year but it was a, it was a finger was it a, a blister or like a, what was what was going on so i had a blister my last start of the year it's more of a cut on my finger i think the seam just cut my finger more or oh. less than anything um and then before that, I got a line drive to the chest from yeah. uh, from Alex Gordon. So and then I started the year the off with like a minor intercostal. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't the luckiest. And I had a minor right intercostal strain when we okay. got to spring training. So it was a year of, like you said, flukiness. But we're, we're such creatures of habit, me in particular. Like I use spring training in a normal year as a tool. And I'm, yeah. I'm thankful that I've been able to do that. So um, fortunate, I guess you would say, cause I don't have to worry about like making the team anymore. So I, I typically use it as a tool for preparation mm-hmm. and not having that this year. It, I think, you know, me personally, it, it really changed my whole schedule of being prepared and being ready because it's hard to replicate those type of outings. It's like once spring training got shut down, it's like, okay, go home and we'll see you when we see you. But how yeah. do you create a schedule as a pitcher when yeah. you don't know when the finish line is? So I think that's the, problem with how everything really started and there were so many pitcher injuries because of that reason I believe just because the the schedule was so unknown and we're sitting here throwing and can't throw 100% you kind of have to teeter around that 85 to 90% because you don't know how long you're going to be doing this so yeah. you got to quote the cliche of save your bullets until the season comes up but your body you know it's it tends to learn from that and then you might get in a habit of working at 90% then you go 100 and that extra hundred puts you over the edge of injury, but um, just my theory. I don't know how much validity there is to it, but it, it seems to me like it makes sense. It, it lines up with 
a lot of the research right now about how to build up a workload. And, you know, they talk about um, having the sort of acute to chronic ratio. There's this idea that like, in order to have this acute stress game day, you need to build up chronic stress. You need to, you know, you need to do all that other throwing to sort of build a baseline. I'm trying to run. And if I miss three days in a row for running, uh, it's a setback. You know, I'm, I, I kind of, I can't run as far. I can't you know, run as fast. So uh, I think there's always a relationship with how much work you're doing at what level and what you can do on game day. But then you, you throw in the mix this crazy schedule and like we haven't seen too much of it yet, but we saw some of it. What would it be like for you uh, to throw, uh, to start in the major league postseason game on a, on a throw day? So a typical schedule would be, you know, you go off the game time, obviously. I try to get there like three, four hours before the game, all that jazz and do my routine, everything. But that's also, if you're fortunate at home, you have your own clubhouse. None of these teams have their home clubhouse, I think, a little bit unique. So you're you're developing, a, you know, I'm sure between travel trunks and everything in those clubhouses, they have relatively the same stuff. But it's a new layout. So you, the first time you might have a little bit of a, all right, I need to figure out where I need to be for this, this, mm. this, and this. But, you know, I think relatively starting purposes – it's relatively normal. It's just like a road game. Essentially it's for us, it's a little bit more of a schedule. Like you said, you have your time, you know what you need to do, you know what time first pitches and you know when you're going to be pitching. So starters have a little bit easier of a schedule when it comes to, you know, the postseason. but in this year you need more than two starters. And I think that's what the big difference is from a lot of teams is. But I, but I mean, I mean, from the perspective of like on a throw day, like a, like a, like a bullpen day, you know what I mean? Like not your actual start day. Like, so what would be different from that, like a regular start day oh oh i'm sorry so you'd be pitching out of the bullpen the day like like you seeing some of the starters go down there and come in yeah, the games out yeah, okay, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay yeah yeah like and so, and so we're talking about like we're talking about short rest but we're also talking about like one or two days rest and not even talking about like yeah. three days rest you know this is okay. like more like you're gonna throw what like 20 pitches or something or 30 yeah, pitches at max yeah. instead of max what's a what's a regular bullpen pitches. for you i'm about 20 pitches give or take a few depending on how things are going, what I'm working on, intensity, <laughs> intensity levels. Yeah, what's the intensity level? What's the percentage on that? It's not 100, I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'll throw about 70, 75%, just enough to, you know, get your mechanics in line and everything like that. And depending on what you're working on, you might alter it a bit. But, you know, we're seeing all these guys um, coming out of the bullpen ready to go. And I think adrenaline comes into play with a lot of that. But teams – have been pretty good about not overusing those guys when it comes when they come into the game. Um, I think for the most part, it's exciting for like sports casters and, you know, writers and all that type of stuff. So when you see like last night, Tyler Glassnell warming up in the ninth inning and we know what kind of stuff he has and you're like, okay, I want to see this guy come out of the bullpen for one inning, empty the tank and you know, it's exciting. <laughs> exactly. You're going to see Max, Max Velo. And, you know, truth be told, he could have came in and thrown, like, 97, and people are like, oh, what's wrong? Like, well, this guy just threw 100 pitches right. one two days ago, and he's <laughs> yeah. on two days rest. This is his bullpen day. So the stuff might not be the same. So it's a difficult thing as a, as a starter because when you, I was in the bullpen for the playoff series against the Astros, which I just wasn't built up long enough to be a starter with what had happened to me this year. But so I'm sitting out there, and it's just an awkward – thing as a starter because you're not used to the bullpen life you're not used to the phone ringing and it's like okay you got get hot. next inning or you got <laughs> yeah so I got hot three times in our in our second game thinking I'm coming into the game and then 
something in the game changes, the phone rings and it's like, okay, sit down now, get Trevor May going or get Tyler Duffy going. And I'm sitting there like ready to go in. And I'm like, this is so different for me. I'm ready to go. And now you're telling me to sit down. Like, okay, now I got to sit back down again and do it all over again. It's just a different animal down there. And when you're not. Yeah. How much, how much effort did you expend getting hot three times? I wonder about this because as, as like, this is not tracked anywhere. We can't see this teams track it, but we can't see this from the outside. Be like, Oh, this reliever got hot in these games. And didn't get in, you know, how, how much of a fitness issue is that if you, let's say you pitch two games, you get hot in the third and then you pitch the fourth, like, like, what is that equivalent to? Like how, how tired were you after getting hot three times? Was it like you'd, you'd actually pitched or um, not really? I think I ended up throwing about close to 60 pitches down there just from the starting and stopping. Cause they gave me extra time as a, you know, as a starter wanted me to yeah. be fully ready. So the first time I was fully hot, ready to go. And then I figure what happened in the game and they you know said, sit down, but don't sit down all the way. And I was like, <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but I'll, I'll keep moving around and, you know, doing this and doing that. So, you know, truth be told, there was a lot of adrenaline because it was like, okay, here we go. It's a playoffs. I'm, I'm ready to go. I want to get out there. I didn't really notice too much of a difference, to be quite honest with you. But I know my time in Tampa, when they used bullpen guys, they would monitor the up-downs during the game. So if there was I – for, I forget what the equivalent – but just for this conversation's sake, say two up-downs and not getting in the game, that counts as a day of pitching. So they would count oh. that as maybe getting in the game. So they would there factor into their workload. So – I don't remember if that was the exact yeah. like scenario for his number of pitches, whatever it may be, but there's something that they monitor that says, you know, if you got up twice and don't get in the game, then you're down the next day or, you know, whatever, it, yeah, whatever it may yeah. be. But there's something that teams use to monitor those workloads because that happens all the time. Like that was, that's the epitome of a bullpen life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, I just I feel really badly for all pitchers because I feel like, you know, we had this really injury-filled year. And then now, um, you know, everyone's sort of – you talk about building and building – 
no one's built up for 200 innings next year, you know, and that's been happening less and less anyway, but even 180 or whatever, like everyone pitched like 40 and 50 innings this year. So uh, I wonder like uh, just to you personally, like how many innings do you think you could pitch next year? <laughs> you know? I honestly, I, I think I can be completely normal next year. Just because yeah. I'm at that point in my career now where I know like my off season plan, my off season plan gets me ready every year to go uh-huh. a full, a full season. So I have that, you know, kind of down to a science now after all the years. And that's a lot of the work is being prepared using the off season as a huge preparation for the season. Cause when I was younger, it was more like, okay, my body feels good. I can just, you know, go lift weights and I'll be ready to, <laughs> I'll be ready to go play catch in December and be ready to go in February and all that type of stuff. And it worked because you're young and like your body mm-hmm. recovers so much quicker. But you know, when I reached probably 26 or 27, that's when I really started to get like focusing on an off season program of, I need to do my mobility stuff. I need to work on mechanics stuff. I do all my drills off the mound. So the familiarity point is there. Um, weighted balls start mixing in that add, you know, get the velo going earlier on. So when you get ready for spring training, you're fully, you're closer to being ready than you would be showing up. And it's like, okay, I got three weeks or four weeks to get ready, but, um, I, I'm trying to be as fully prepared when I get to spring training. So me personally, I think next year would be completely normal for me just with the preparation that I put in and being prepared for the next season. But a lot of teams that maybe guys are under like team control, they're going to treat them completely differently than they would a mm-hmm. free agent acquisition or a guy that's already on a contract. So, yeah. um, you know, that's just the reality of it. We all know how, how that happens and why it happens. So teams will be a little more probably careful with certain guys, but I think that's the important point of having veterans on your team is you need to lean on those guys and know what you're going to get from those guys because you know, you're going to, you know, maybe restrict some other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like uh, just having a a real beginning date would be like having that. (laughs) It's an anchor, right? It's like a a thing that everyone point. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that just to, to do all of your, okay, I'm going to be at this percent here, this percent here and, and be a hundred percent that day. So um, hopefully, hopefully, you know, things kind of normalize in our world and you have something exactly. like that. I think there's, there's going to be a little bit more certainty about next season. We made it through this season. It seemed like, you know, that was touch and go for a while, but, um, you know, so we've got the, these rays, your, your old rays have made it to uh, the world series. We don't yet know the, the other participant, but you know, when you look at a team like that, that's kind of built on, um, elite run prevention, it seems like, uh, versus uh, scoring, and yet your your team had the Bomba Squad, and like you know, uh, could to hit home runs with the best of them. Um, does does either sort of approach uh, speak to you more? Like, do you think um, you know I, the numbers are kind of unclear? It seems like when I've looked that that hitting is a little bit more important than pitching in the postseason, but defense is also um, a little, is pretty important in the postseason. So. Just speaking as a as a fan or an analyst, you know how do you, how do you see this for the Rays? You know, do you see them as the favorite against either team, or I would see them as a favorite over the Braves. I would see them equal to probably even even money against the Dodgers. Um, mm. I think a lot of people from the beginning of the season picked Rays Dodgers as like a, a World Series matchup. So obviously that's kind of what people view, but. I, I like what you said about defense. I think defense is the X factor of the postseason because, you know, we're all enamored by the the great pitching performance or like an offensive outburst. But there's so many points in games as mm-hmm. a starting pitcher in general, just being a starting pitcher, little plays that do or don't get made 
swing the game dramatically. And obviously in the postseason, games are even more swung because of the emotions and the, the momentum that it brings. And I think what we've seen from Tampa is like the elite defense has shortened games for them to mm. match up with the lack of offense in a lot of instances because you know, offensively they haven't exactly – crush the ball at any point they've won the games that they win they get you know randy hits a home run early and then it goes for the next seven innings they usually tack on another one and they're pitching and defensive uh, you know they carry them there so um that's kind of what we've seen from them and where it flips like offensively we'll just use the twins like we have a, a great offense but great offenses can stumble and if they're not you know you're they're not going to show up every single game so if you're not refined on the other parts of your game, that makes it look even worse because if your offense struggles and, you know, we pitched really good in the postseason, to be quite honest, those series against the Astros, we, we threw the ball really well. But when you, when we don't score, it, it, it sucks. You know, it's, it's unfortunate and it happens two games and you're, you're ousted, but defense is the one thing that I don't think has much of a roller coaster effect. It's mm. if you're a good defensive team, you're a good defensive team. Like you show up, you make plays, you know, that sort of thing. If you're a good offensive team, your bats might be quiet that night. It happens yeah. to literally everybody. But defense is the one uh, constant I view in the postseason as the separator because somebody's going to have a great pitching performance. There's going to be offense at certain points. But the defense, if you can be consistent from game one to seven and eliminate those outs, shorten the game down and not give extra outs away, that's where they separate themselves. And obviously, like so their pitching staff is built in a very unique way and they've had a lot of success with it. So – you pair those two together, and like you said, it's run prevention. You need to push across a few. But once you get the lead, if you're that team, you have to feel confident with where you're at because you know that uh, you got guys making plays left and right and a good uh, staff and bullpen to carry it out. Yeah, you know, there's one interesting thing I, I spotted, though, about the Rays. Um, Willie Adonis uh, was rated this year. There's this stat cast stat called Outs Above Average, and – I mean, it's, it's pretty good. It has like starting position and like uh, kind of breaks things down into components and first step and all this stuff. It's pretty advanced. It had Adamas as a worst fielder in baseball um, among qualified infielders. That doesn't, it doesn't really fit with my eyes, uh, but it also uh, speaks, I think, a little bit to uh, one thing that the Rays are kind of brilliant at, I think, um, which is positioning. I think we've seen uh, a, like a lot of plays this year uh, in this postseason where there's like a rocket um, and Adamus is just standing right there, you know, and it just like hits him in the chest almost. And um, I wonder, you know, that I think the, the Rays were more aggressive than most teams when it comes to shifting right-handers um, and they do like four-man outfields and stuff like that. Um, when, when your team does something weird positioning-wise, I mean, they, they tell you something like just pitch like, we're not doing anything weird back here, you know, like, or, or does it still creep in and unconsciously you're like, oh, I've got a lot of defenders over there. I should push, I should throw the ball here or whatever, you know, like, do you, do you, do you try not to think about what's happening behind you sometimes? Yeah. I don't exactly look back there. Like the only time that you ever really take a peek is when they do four man outfield. Like we've done it a handful of times in, mm -hmm. in Minnesota. Um, for me and I, we started doing it in Tampa my last year there. So I was kind of familiar with it. And then obviously Rocco coming over kind of brought it from mm -hmm. Tampa as well. But those are the only ones that really, you know, where you guys are at because you, know, you have to call time and you got to let your guy get all the way out there. And then you really <laughs> kind of survey, but um, they, it's basically pitched the same way because it's, it's going off of the pitcher more than anything else. So yeah. it's, 
you can't exactly say do the opposite of what you do because we're going to shift, but we're shifting off of what you do, you know, like that doesn't, (laughs) exactly. So it would like counteract itself if you did something different, but yeah, positioning is a, is a huge factor. Like the ball at the middle now is almost an out every single time. It seems like where back mm-hmm. in the day, that's a single every day of the week. And then you get the weak ground ball, the 20 hopper to the right side, and that turns into a single, sometimes a double if they're fast enough. So the the shift has really changed the game. You know, the numbers say it's for the better. And I, I believe that to be true because like I said, the rockets that get hit, that's what it's eliminating in the, the dinkers you kind of have to live with. And mm-hmm. I think teams are okay living with that, but they've been doing that for a long time. Like they're kind of the innovators of the shift. My time there, they started doing it and we were like the most shift heavy team. And now literally every team is shift. I think like straight up now, the straight up positioning is the shift. Like nobody does that <laughs> anymore. Like that's straight up is the, is the abnormal part of the yeah. game now. So the shift is normal. Straight up is not normal. There are pitchers that, that don't like the shift or, or, you know, I think that it's it's sort of like you, you've talked a little bit about like what you remember, like, you know, when you're, t- you're talking about the postseason, we remember these big, you know, what you remember. I feel like the shift is one of those things where you remember the time the ball went to the normal spot and you're like, God, why wasn't the shortstop over there, you know? Uh, yep. But you don't remember all the times that they gobble up what would be a single up the middle or whatever. Um, have you, have you ever encountered that, that sort of feeling of like sort of being anti-shift, you know, in a, in, with a pitcher? Oh yeah. I mean, as a starting pitcher, that's exactly the mindset of it. Like I've tried to temper it down because I know I've been helped with the shift probably more times than I've been hurt by it. Yeah. It just seems at times where you're hurt by it, it's like an important spot and it's like, uh, you know, it's a lefty heavy shift and you saw them off inside and it squeaks right past the third, like right past the base, but there's nobody on that side. And you're like, okay, mm-hmm. well. I did what I needed to do and I didn't get rewarded for it. But then at the same time you get rewarded for maybe a missed spot. So mm. it takes away the the bad, but the bad just, they, they, they stick out more because typically it's like a weak contact or a broken bat or something you feel good as a pitcher of when you like hear that off the bat, like, okay, that wasn't hit very well. Crap. Nobody's there. But um, yeah, the big, the big one I think that the Rays do well is outfield shifting. Like they have a guy in center and uh, KK who covers a vast, he's like, you know, I've been fortunate. My last two center fielders have been KK and Byron Buxton. Like right, right. it doesn't get too much better than those two guys. Yeah, so when you have a guy, guy, you're like, I'll buy you some exactly. stuff. <laughs> exactly. So you have those two guys. I'll just talk them in the same breath as you know, how, what, how they do it. You have a guy that covers, the gaps of right and left. So that takes the pressure off the right fielder and the left fielder. So you can focus them more line oriented because you know that guy is going to get to those balls in right center or left center. So you give him more ground and you shade him to one side, depending on what the pull side is. And then you have your other night defenders. You can pinch the line a little bit more, which I think we're starting to see in a lot of baseball games is left fielders, right fielders are, standing on the line and the guy hits one down the line. Like, all right, that's a double on TV. And he's standing right there. Like that's happening so much more. And might've been part of that big Manny Margot catch, right? Yeah, exactly. He was like, he, well, how does he get theoretically shouldn't be in position to make that play. It should be like a full sprint for him to get there. And then there's no way like he'd have hit that cement wall if you had to jump like he did. But, um, but that's a prime example like that probably like defensively is like saving two outs as opposed to, just you know making a play so and that's a separator so you give those guys the focus on the lines and you let kk the kk's and byron bucks of the world do what they do and run freely and make plays like it's going out of style in the gaps and 
you have yourself a, a very finely tuned outfield. Plus the Rays out there, they move pretty well to begin with as well. Mm. So they cover a lot of ground on that. Uh, yeah. But um, you know, that's that's what they do. They know, knew what they needed to do to be a good defensive team, and they put the personnel in place to do it. Uh, one thing about the Rays that's interesting, there was a piece that you know uh, suggested that the, the, the Rays – aesthetic wasn't pleasing um and that it was even maybe even bad for baseball because you're talking about um you know openers and taking um taking starters out early and focusing on the bullpen uh traditionally things that could be cheaper for a team you know they're, they're all about sort of financial efficiency but i kind of want to push back a little bit because when i watch raise baseball i enjoy it um and i you know i maybe i'm a pitching dork but they they have great really you know, diverse arm slots, you know, just like crazy pitchers that are really good at what they do in different places. I mean, I enjoy watching race baseball. Is there, is there anything that's complicated for you about watching race baseball? I think the thing that's complicated for me as like, you know, someone who's been there and been through the ringer of, all right, you get to a certain dollar figure, you're out the door type of right. thing. Yeah. I, I kind of, I don't, pride myself on it, but I feel like I'm one of the one outliers of they traded me and they didn't get the better end of the deal. So <laughs> that, that's, that's like a huge feather in my cap, I guess. So, um, yeah, they seem to win every trade. <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I broke that streak, I guess for, for them, but, uh, you know, it was bound to happen at some point, but the thing, the thing with, with their model and I think to where it gets the pushback and as a player, I can understand it a little bit is, you know, all these guys that you see in their bullpen, a lot of people may or may not have heard of them, like that uh, Thompson, Fairbanks, like all these guys, are, they, they've been in the minor leagues and they bring them up and they're unique and they're, they're really good. And then to a certain point, then it's like, okay, now we need to turn that over. So they get the best out of those guys for that period of time where they're making the least amount of money if mm-hmm. they flip them over. And then where do they go from there? Like what's their career like after that? Like what if they got – used too much there and then their career was a little bit different after they got out of there mm-hmm. you know that's obviously you can't it's hard to really look in the future and like you'd have to go back and like look at all these players and like okay what happened after what happened mm-hmm. after that sort of a thing so that's my one thing as a player is they're not abusing these guys i'm, I'm not saying that in the least bit but mm-hmm. it's like they're going to get the most out of their young guys when they're least expensive yeah. and then as it goes up that's when the turnover happens and then what's the career point from there from those guys and what if there's you know, I mean, we all know how the game is of excuse me, usage and miles on your arm and that sort of right. thing. But you know, a lot of that seems like a structural problem in baseball. You know, it's uh, yes. you know, it's something that needs to be addressed, and we won't get you in trouble with the union or anything. But uh, <laughs> that seems like uh, they they've just figured out how to win. Like I, when I asked Cash, he was like, "No, these players are awesome. Look at them." And then he also said, "But the point is to win games, and we've done that pretty well." So <laughs> it's kind of like this is the system they were given, right? You know. Exactly. They've worked within the rules of what they need to do and all that type of stuff. But it's it's just one of those things of, you know, you're maximizing their arms and their uses. All these young guys, like they're young guys, they're young guys. They're like the turnover there. Since I've left in 17 was my last year there. There's only two guys left on the team from when I was there. Mm. Like that's a that's a crazy amount of crazy. turnover yeah. in a short amount of time. And like the model, I understand the model, but they've been doing that model for you know, however long. And I think it has to line up at the right time. Like you have to have the right farm system of players to come up. You have to make the right trades mm-hmm. to influence your roster. And then when it all lines up, you're in this position that you are right now, probably similar to 08 when they got there and, you know, 08 the first time on the world series. So it's, um, 
it's a it's a good model. It just has to line up perfectly, I in my opinion, to continually make a World Series trip because if they're going to keep turning over guys, you don't know how well the turnover goes from from time to time. And you have to keep hitting you know, that, on all this that turnover exactly you have to keep hitting exactly. on the trades. And that's, yeah, and that's yeah. what they've been able to do for a, a long time until. <laughs> until me but um, <laughs> um, yeah so like i said i understand it i completely i'm on i i can see the pros and the cons from every angle of it and as a team like they're running it in a winning fashion and they're doing it with lower cost guys because they're all younger guys you just need those younger guys to step up and not you know take steps backwards and they've been able to do that if they take a step backwards it seems like there's another guy waiting in the wings that steps up and is fills the spot precisely so like i said i see it both ways and i can't really you know, they've done what they need to do. I've been there. I've benefited from it. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything that I did while I was there. So. Cool. Cool. Well, we've got the world series coming up and will, will, uh, will the series, will, will baseball be better with uh, off days? It'll be different. It'll be like, all right, where's the game at today? And then there's an off day mixed and you feel like you're deprived. But <laughs> yeah. uh, Either way, after today, we're going to get two off day, uh, one off day at least. So it'll be uh, a good lead. In- but I should start to finish seven game series, but you know, it'll be, uh, it'll be fun to watch either way. I think either way, we're going to get a, a good matchup. You're going to get a really hot Braves team or a really defty Dodgers team that's been in the world series every year in the last, it seems like. So whatever matchup it is with the Rays, I think it's going to be a good one to watch. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on Jake. And uh, we'll uh, we, we'll look forward to seeing where you land next year. And uh, hopefully we won't be talking to you next year because you'll be pitching in the postseason. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Rates and Barrels. And thank you again to Jake Odorizzi for taking the time to visit with Eno and share your insight with us. Eno, Britt, and I are back with you with a World Series preview on Monday night.